Welcome to the first part of our Radio York special with David Ward. David is a long-time supporter of York City, but also the main commentator for the BBC at all York City games. This interview covers a journey both of his support and his career in media. This episode is once again sponsored by City Cruises, official partners of York City Football Club, who operate sightseeing and dining cruises out of York, London and Poole. The sightseeing cruise, known as the York City Cruise, is a homage to YCFC, with general manager Joe Dykes a huge supporter. In fact, York City fans can get 10% off daytime and early evening cruises by entering YCFC10 at the checkout. YCFC10 at the checkout. As we approach the end of this series, please consider donating to our charity if at all possible. It makes a huge difference and allows us to continue providing a service to York Hospital. Our Just Giving site accepts all levels of donations and is accessible at justgiving.com slash yorkhospitalradio. Justgiving.com slash Hospital Radio. But for now, here is the Radio York Sport special episode with David Ward. So thanks, Dave, for giving up your time to join us for this Radio York, York City special. I believe Radio York's sort of association with York City began during the 1980s, which was a similar time to when you began supporting the club. But your memories are a little bit sketchy over the, the exact details. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, the, the first game I properly remember going to, I, I went with my dad and my younger brother, who's just a couple of years younger than me, and we sat down in the main stand, and it was definitely against Leighton Orient. Now, my recollection of that game was York City won 2-0, sort of like the back end of the uh, of the 1980s but I've gone I've actually looked back at all the stats from when I first started going and there is no 2-0 win to York City in there there is a one-all draw 22nd of April 1989 I think it was so that's the fir- that must be the first game that I'm remembering going to I had been before then I was 89 I was 11, nearly 11 years old by 89 so I'd been every now and then sort of like in the two or three years before then but it was I think it was around then that I really started getting to York City and then from then on apart from the time when I was away at university I've basically gone to as many York City matches as I possibly could. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned your dad Terry there because I, I actually sat with him for one game, him and Graham Bradbury for an away game, and it was Gate said six, York City won. So if he remembers me, he probably remembers my bad language that night. So if he's uh, if he's <laughs> listening, then I do apologise, Terry. But uh, I'm sure he can could have understand. Had it from the other side as well, then from Graham, because Graham wouldn't have been very happy either. No, no, he, he wasn't particularly happy. No, and he had a bit of a sore leg, I think, at the time as well. It was almost like adding <laughs> insult to injury. So, so who was the sort of first player or first? sort of hero you had growing up watching York City? The, the player I actually loved when I first started going to watch York was probably Wayne Hall Jinnah at left back. And I, d- I don't know why it was Wayne Hall, because if you ask people to name their favourite players, left back's not normally the position they give you, is it? It's always the goal scorers or maybe the goalkeeper, but not the left back. But after I first went to that game, that late in Orient game, I joined the Junior Reds. As so many people of our age did back in the, the sort of like the late 1980s, the early 1990s, and then you got the opportunity to go and be a ball boy, didn't you? And you'd go and rock up with uh, Colin Sanderson, I think it was, wasn't yeah. it? You meet at about half past one, and you'd have to wander around, and he'd tell you exactly what you're doing. You'd put on the kit, and I was a ball boy for the Tranmere Rovers match in the FA Cup. Do you remember it was a televised match? Wayne Hall scored that. 
Wade Hall. I was in, I was down the David Longhurst stand, just the left of the goal, but directly behind Wayne Hall when he hit that ball, and it flew and curved and moved into the into the top corner. Still one of the best ever goals I think I ever saw scored at Brilliant Crescent. So I was a ball boy that night. So I think that was really what what got me interested in Wayne Hall. I thought, wow, what a player! What a left foot he had, like running down that left hand side for that goal. Yeah, it's interesting because that, that was my next set of questions was about did we have a, in the junior Reds and were you a ball boy? And and I, I was exactly the same. And I I remember the ball boy sort of it was just a one size fits all thing that gave you and I was really yeah. tiny when I when I, I looked like the end end scene in big you know Tom Hanks when he, yeah. when he comes out of it at the end <laughs> and then you used to get a birthday card didn't you off your favorite player I was how, how does Paul Baker know it's my birthday you know <laughs> things like that when did you first sort of think about journalism then and, and what was your pathway into it and, and sort of joining Radio York I'd always been interested in watching football even when I was at school and I wasn't sort of good enough to make the school teams I would still because lots of my mates were, were in the school team I would still go and watch him so my dad would take me to watch him after school to all the other schools around York or my granddad would take me so I'd always love watching sport I've always known I wasn't good enough to play it myself so then you sort of think well I want to do something that I want to stay involved in sport this is really what I like doing so the next best thing I think for anyone is if you're not good enough at it to try and find another avenue into it and I just thought you know I would love to be a football commentator I'd love to be a sports journalist so that was always been my ambition from when I was really small and asking what you what do you want to do at school 10 11 year olds and I stuck stuck to my guns that's always what I wanted to do and eventually after lots and lots of hard work and going through a little bit, a bit of a weird pathway I, I managed to do it. What was that weird pathway? What did it involve? What? Well, I did my initial degree, a communications degree, which many people do now who work in the media. Back in 97, I started that. I went to Ed Shield University near Liverpool, in Ormskirk near Liverpool. I did three years with that. And then, then I, was, I had a girlfriend back home. She was from York. She was at university down in Bristol. Came home that summer after graduating. It was like, well, what do we want to do? She really wanted to move down to London and get a job in London. So I said, all right, then we'll, we'll move down to London. She managed to find a job doing sales for a uh, pharmaceutical magazine she still works in pharmaceuticals now so she got a job doing what she wanted to do but I didn't just want to go there and do anything so I was sort of like holding out looking for a, a job at a radio station or a television production company this that or the other and it was really really difficult really difficult so so much so that I was unemployed for about six months when we first went down there she got the job I said right we'll do it one of you gets it. as soon as one of us gets a job really we're going to move down to London so she got a job I was fortunate enough to be able to live down there for six months continue we're still looking for jobs eventually I found found one, an independent production company on King's Road. It was called London International Television. And they basically made small video profiles. It was a worldwide company, but the headquarters was in London. And they made company profile, little videos, five or 10 minutes that were then broadcast in England. They were broadcast on a channel called Euronews, which I think you can still get on Sky. But they were broadcast on all these different channels on Star India and Asia and this, that and the other, depending on where you were in the world. And I just started off like most people do really as a runner, a bit of a dog's body. So when they're out filming in London or the Southeast, I go out and make cups of teas and I'd make sure that everyone was in the right place when they needed to be at certain times and I did that for about a couple of years and then the company went into liquidation completely out of the blue uh, everyone got called in one morning like that's it that's the end I was like oh my god what do we do this was November time in 2003 it would have been 2003 yeah what do I do I had nothing so I thought well I got away with it last time living down here and basically my, my girlfriend as she was then having enough money to pay for both of us to 
rent this house with a friend and this, that and the other. What, what do I do now? <laughs> Unfortunately, I had another mate who was uh, who worked at the London Evening Standard, uh, which of course is the local newspaper for London. For those people who don't know, it's part of Associated Newspapers. So it's the same group as The Mail, The Mail on Sunday, The Metro. And he said, oh, we're looking for someone to come and work in our internet team. Do you fancy? And I thought, well, I've got nothing else to do, to be perfectly honest. I need a job sort of like now. And I said, all right, then he told them and he came back the following day and gave me a ring. He said, oh, you got the job. I've not even met anyone. I've not had no interview, done nothing whatsoever. And they gave me the job starting just after Christmas. We're now in the middle of December. So it probably felt right that it was the right time of year. They thought, you know what, we need someone. We're not got much time. Christmas is coming up. I had a quick telephone conversation with one of the guys there. And then I went and worked for them on their internet pages, basically helping process job adverts. Relatively straightforward, to be honest. It was really well paid. It wasn't particularly journalism sort of work, but it was working for a newspaper. And I did that for about 18 months before we both, uh, before me and my girlfriend got married. And um, we decided after we got married, right, we're, we're quitting back home. One of us has got to find a job and then we'll come back home. Of course, she found a job first again. So I came home and was unemployed again. It's like, well, what do I do now? I tried to get a job then at radio stations, at TV companies. And by that stage, no one would take you on without having done a postgrad or a master's. All right, I'm going to have to go back to university here. So I did. I went back to Leeds Trinity and did a postgrad for a year in 2006. And then it was after that, really, where doors started opening. You got your degree, you got your postgrad. I was fortunate, again, in a way, there's a lot of luck involved. I think that's what for many people with their careers. Minster FM had just start, were just setting up a radio station in North Allerton called Minster North Allerton. Uh, I knew a couple of people at Minster FM, applied for the job at Minster North Allerton, and got the job. Apparently, I got the job off the back of a question saying, if I could be any superhero, which superhero would you be? And I thought, oh, I wasn't expecting this. So I said, Batfink, because you've got wings like a shield of steel. And I said, you got the job. And that was that. We're going to say Wayne Hall. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in London and, and, and that sort of uh, that time period, were you still watching York City games? Were you getting to the ones that were sort of down south? And Oh, I was still going to lots of York City games. It was a lot easier, of course, than what it is now for people living down south, because York at the minute aren't going anywhere down south either. there's no games around London Brackley I suppose is the nearest game for those guys so yeah I was seeing lots of York City games I joined York City South the supporters group down there uh, I've got lots of mates now who are still members of, of York City South and I see regularly when I go when I go down to London so yeah we'd, we'd come up to games we'd buy cheap train tickets we'd all come up early doors Saturday morning go back late on a Saturday night make a full day of it I'd go to all the away games all our families were both still in York anyway so we'd regularly be coming up and you just get into the habit of tying your, your trips back north when York City were at home so even then I wasn't actually missing that many games I was around you said 2003 2004 sort of time period which was quite a difficult one wasn't it for the club I mean, that was when we fell out of the football <laughs> yeah. league the first time so good commitment that coming back from London for those those sort of games so when did Radio York come about and so you mentioned North Allerton there with with Minster FM links. So I went to Minster North Allerton at the beginning of 2007, it would be. I worked there for about eight months and we were living in Harrogate at the time. And then Stray FM had a vacancy come up there. And they're all part of the same group, Minster, Minster North Allerton, Stray FM. And they said, do you fancy having a transfer across to Harrogate? We know you live in Harrogate. It means you don't have to travel up to North Allerton. I was had to be in North Allerton every morning for six o'clock. So driving up the A1 every day for six o'clock and then coming home at two o'clock in the afternoon was a, it wasn't particularly hard work, but there were times I was driving back down the A1, bright sunshine, especially in the summer. You're thinking I've been up since about quarter five, half four, quarter five. And I was like, <laughs> you sort of feel yourself drifting away as you're on the motor. I thought, I can't be doing this for too much longer. So when that opportunity came up to go to, to Stray, I jumped at that opportunity. And then I was on, I 
loved Stray FM. Stray FM was a brilliant place to work. I think everyone who worked at Stray FM, Sarah Barry was the uh, a lady called Sarah Barry was the manager there, and she made it a brilliant place to work. Everyone who's worked at Stray will always say what a brilliant place that was to work. We had so much fun. Got invited to so many different things, so many different opportunities. But I was just working in news that, as you'll know, commercial radio doesn't really do sport. There's no one as that comes from well, as Minster used to be uh, to watch York City. So lo- lo- uh, commercial radio weren't that interested in local sport. So I did about eight months at Stray, something like that. And then I got a call one afternoon from a lady called Anna Evans, who at the time was the news editor at Radio York and is now the assistant editor at Radio York. She's still there saying, you know what, we've got these four jobs coming up. We've got four positions we need to fill. We'd like you to apply for one. So you're thinking, right, well, all right, then they've, they've actually gone out of the blue to call me to come in for it. I've done a work placement now, actually, as part of my course, but only for a week, sort of like two years before. She called and said, will you apply for one of these jobs? So I applied for one of the jobs. There were four going. I don't know why they needed four members of staff all at the same time, but they did. And fortunately enough, I, I got one of the positions. Because my, my first sort of recollection of being in the commentary box alongside you was you were sort of like a presenter at the ground at Boove and Crescent. I can't remember what, what year this was, but it was a bit of a change from tradition. And I didn't know whether you were behind that change or, or what, what how that came about, but you ended up actually at the ground. I remember you presenting and, and hearing you on, on the radio, but my first sort of time I met you was was actually at the ground. And I think it was the first day of one of the seasons. I can't remember when it, when it was. Yeah, the first game I did, I think, was Tranmere away first day of the season where in typical city fashion and this I think they did concede late on really late on in that game yeah (laughs) yeah so that that was the I think that was the first game uh, I did so I was new doing that Tim Steer did that game as well that was his first game as our commentator so yeah that came about we had a new editor at the station a guy called Sanji Batu is now the editor at BBC Radio Leeds and whenever editors come into local radio they all want to do something different basically they all want to put their name in it give it a bit of a shake up and say that look this is I've done X, Y and Z and that was one of the things he did he wanted us to be out and about presenting from grounds as lots of stations do and to be fair now I think lots of it's money orientated across the BBC and other radio stations that sometimes the money's just not there to be able to send an extra person to a ground as maybe it was then so he thought it would be a good idea obviously I was well up for it a big York City fan uh, wanting to go to all the games we get paid to go to games when you'd be going anyway it's not a pay rise but at times it sometimes feels like a bit of a pay rise because of all the money you're saving so yeah I jumped at the chance and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and there was a number of sort of different commentators around that time that, that I guess were, were freelance like Tim and, and I think you had Ronan as well at one point didn't yeah. you and w- when did you become commentator and was it something you sort of suggested was it something you wanted to do well I'm guessing it's something you wanted to do because you mentioned from your early kind of life growing up yeah so Tim did commentary for two, three years. I don't think it was any any more than that. And then by this point, Sanjeev had left Radio York and gone across to Radio Leeds. And he needed a commentator to do Bradford City on Radio Leeds. So Radio Leeds had lost the contract. When you're in the Football League, it's a, you have to sign contracts all the football clubs. Whereas at the minute, when you're in the National League and below, the BBC has a contract with the National League, not the individual clubs. So it's done centrally. But when you're in the Football League, all the contracts are done on a club-by-club basis. So Bradford City, for the couple of years before that hadn't been on BBC Leeds it had been on a Pulse FM as it used to be called a Bradford commercial radio station but the BBC BBC Leeds got the contract back and he wanted to, someone to do that and Tim lives in Keithley which of course is a lot nearer to Bradford than it is to York so he asked him if he fancied going do, to do Bradford Bradford of course in a high division as well and when you have no sort of real affinity to York as Tim didn't I think he jumped at the chance and then they were looking for someone else to do York Ronan was rounded about he was a bit like me really Ronan was from Leeds from Yorkshire but he was working down in Kent for whatever reason uh, he 
interviews at BBC Radio Kent. He wanted to move back up north, got to move to Leeds. Then that job, came, uh, the sport came up at York and he was sort of like freelancing at York, at Leeds and at Sheffield. So we offered that job to do the commentary to Ronan and I stayed doing the presenting from the grounds. When you stepped up to being commentator, was that something that you wanted to do or was that something that you had to do because these people were moving on? It wasn't something I had to do. Well, I think nothing would ever be, be made to do something we didn't want to do, to be, to be perfectly fair, at the BBC. But it was something I wanted to I wanted to try my hand at it. And you're sort of wondering, you're sort of, I don't know, you're sort of seeing, well, there are cutbacks here, there, everywhere, not just at the BBC, but across local media, national media. You're not fighting for your, for your position, but you don't want to be sort of left out, do you? If you're thinking, oh, they're going to, could they cut back someone? It was always likely they were going to maybe take away a person from presenting at the grounds. And so I just put my hand up and said, you know what, give me a chance. I'd like to do that. And thankfully they did. And I'm still doing it today. And when you started doing that, I mean, it's a completely different set of skills, isn't it, to presenting? And, and I presume there's no real sort of media-based training for being a commentator as such. So what did you do in preparation for it? And, and was it hard? sort of because you are a fan and obviously when we come and say at hospital radio we you know we have different rules i guess to a data and probably can get away with a lot more but was it difficult for you as a fan because you are a passionate fan you know we, we talk quite a lot don't we and and you can tell you're passionate how did you make sure that didn't sort of spill over into your commentary two questions then so I suppose the first bit about did i find it easy i'd always known that i could do it because if you watch so much sport as i do not just football but all sport you sort of know without concentrating too much about what things that are said and it's sort of background noise and it just sort of seeps into it to your head so I always knew I could do it I remember actually when we did first start doing it ahead of the first game I went to um, a couple of pre-season friendlies I hate pre-season friendlies I'd never read anything into pre-season yeah, friendlies if, if I can I know some supporters get very excited or very disappointed by pre-season results as if it's going to be a shape of what's of what's to come but I just I just hate pre-season I just take them for what they are a fitness exercise basically to get the players up to scratch so um, I remember Sharon saying to me oh, well, one of these pre-season games record do commentary on one of them just record it back at base and then between us not Sharon because obviously she's doing the rugby league commentary now but She's got. She before that, she's had as much experience as what I have. To be fair, doing doing the football, she said, "We'll get someone to have a listen across to it who's, who knows a little bit more." So I recorded the first half, and then she listened to a couple of minutes. I remember saying to her, "You're going to be just fine. I don't think we need to do much more with this, basically." And then every sort of year, eighteen months or so, we go and talk to. We have the opportunity to talk to someone else. So I've spoken a couple of times, and he's come in and done sessions, not just with me, but with Barry, and they do it across the local radio stations with a guy called Rob Noffman, who you may have heard on on five live quite a bit he does a lot of their producing stuff he does at the open golf every year he's the guy who asks all the players questions when they come off the course for telly and for radio he's been doing radio now for 30 odd years something like that and there's another guy who comes in called Gerald I think you guys nobody else really would have really heard of him who comes in and sort of like listens to your commentaries and says well why did you do this why did you do that what do you think of this what do you think of that and it's just all the basic things like you're supposed to try and give a score update every 10 minutes because people obviously tune in tuning out all the time you don't want people to lose what's going on and not be able to say what's going on because there's nothing worse than listening to football and saying I have absolutely no idea what's going on especially at York's level where the minute where there is no background noise there is no mm. atmosphere at lots of these games so you can't tell if York are winning 3-0 or losing 3-0 some of these away games where there's only four or 500 in a crowd there so little things like that the second part of your question I've always tried to be honest whenever I do the commentary because you've got to remember you're in general you are commentating for somebody who is not at the game 
not many people these days are sitting there with their earphones and listening to their transistor or listening to their phone for the commentary as they're watching the game. So you're commentating for someone who's not there. So first of all, you've got to be accurate at what you're telling them. And if it is a poor performance, I think you've got to say it's poor. If it's brilliant or someone's playing really well, you've got to say they're playing really well. So you've got to be fair and you've got to be, you've got to be accurate. Is it hard? I suppose it is hard at times and you sometimes feel as though you're biting your tongue a little bit. Obviously harder when they're not playing well or results aren't going for them than it is the other way around. But I think it actually helps that you're a fan and that I've been going for so long now because many of York supporters a lot older than me and they go back even further but the new generation of supporters the people who the football club should be trying to attract don't have as much experience of going to watch York as you or I do or anyone else who's been going for for over 30 years so you try and put it all into the mix don't you but in a way I think because we've been going for so long that makes it even more frustrating because I don't see I'm sure you don't see you mentioned Graham Bradbury he won't see lots of other people they don't see York City as being a club that should be in National North and at the minute they are and how much research do you do in anticipation of a game and you know the, the York City stuff will probably come naturally to you to like you mm. say you, you've got, been going for such a long time and you know the players um, inside out I'm sure but I always think when I'm commentating for Osprey Reddy it's hard for, for the opposition teams particularly in National League North because there's not some of them don't even have a website for their teams and then you're, you're looking on the day aren't you and you're trying to work out who's who and when they don't have squad numbers as well that's been difficult so how, how do you prepare for that sort of thing? You're right it's difficult <laughs> it's it's harder when you first start off because I've, I've, you keep, I keep all my notes they're all on my computer so I can go back and look at players that have, in, in the general now lots of these players they're just basically on the merry-go-round aren't they and they turn up for one season at one and the next season they move on to another but you've seen the same players they might not be playing for the same team but you've seen lots of the same players year after year after year so it is just what you what you said really if you've got an interest you know a little bit about teams without even research and you can remember oh, I remember that happened or they had a, that side had a big FA Cup run and did this against whoever it was and it's just a lot of time spent dragging yourselves through different websites club websites players websites all the different websites that any fan who's really interested might go and have a look on you just end up spending a lot more time in average I reckon for every game I probably do about three hours research something like that but you only ever use the time that's the thing a lot of it is a waste of time because you only ever use such a small amount of stuff that you actually find during your commentary yeah I think Guy Murray said when we interviewed him that it's similar sort of he'll have a massive thick wad of paper of stuff that he's researched but actual fact if the game's decent he won't use kind of 99% of it let's talk about some of the summarizers you work with Dave in your time at Radio York because you've had Chris Jones at the start and Dan Parzel has been alongside you in the commentary box as well and I think Ian Dunn's probably the one that City fans seem to feel that you've got a real chemistry with there without any sort of disrespect to the others was he someone that you knew before and I think his first game was Gary Mills's last game at South Shields that time obviously I, I knew of Ian uh, I remember watching him play but I didn't really know him to be honest and there was a re I can't remember what the reason was but Chris couldn't do that game at South Shields people think it's really easy trying to find people to, to summarise on the radio it's really not especially if you want them to have some sort of connection with the club there aren't many people to go to for, for York City so once again Graham Bradbury because the club don't have many contacts for, for, or they didn't at the time didn't have many contacts so Graham Bradbury was always the person to go to first of all he knows them all and then he's got he's got their contact details so I went to him and said do you, who do you think is a decent 
talker would be happy to come on the radio and he was one of the names he gave me so I just gave him a bell in the week running up to the game to be honest he said he would do it he drove up there by himself with his wife and his father-in-law who watch York regularly so I met him up there and I think I could be wrong I think that was the first time I properly met him was actually when he arrived at, at South Shields on the gantry yeah because I, I remember that game because I, I didn't go to South Shields and uh, and I remember driving about and I'd sort of tuned in and, and I don't mean this is disrespectful and I think I said this to Ian when I, when I interviewed him but I thought it was a fan who like like a really excitable fan who just let on I was like oh it's quite nice that Reggie York have let this random person on and then it was only a lot lot later on I sort of realised that it was Ian I don't know if you remember but in the past when Barry was doing commentary he had used Robert Havercroft at a few away games every now and then if he didn't have anyone else and Robert was nearby he'd sometimes ask Robert if he wanted to come on because it makes life so much easier it's really really difficult to talk for 45, 50 minutes by yourself and still have those small pauses that you need to maybe just jot down a few notes and keep an eye on what's going on on the field in front of you because you can't do all these jobs at once, can you? So yeah, it's really hard work I was really keen to get to get somebody in and uh, Ian fitted the bill. And you kind of complement each other quite well, don't you? Because I think Ian's sort of almost like the eternal sort of optimist, isn't he really? And I, I've been, I mean, even the filed game last season, I thought we played terrible, but but Ian always had that sort of, oh yeah, but if this would have happened, this would have happened, that we, we could have won 5-0 and you, you sort of thinking... Am I watching the same game as him? But but you're kind of like I wouldn't say you're the pessimist, but you're almost like the realist, and it, and you kind of bl- complement each other well like that. He's got a heart of gold, hasn't he? He always sees the positive. He's like glass glass half full, and I'm the glass half empty. Someone once said to us, which which should be fair. I think it is probably fair. I think they should be doing better. Uh, I think, and I always say this, and I'd say it to everyone at the football club: if you accept where we are at the minute, accept mediocrity. That's exactly what you get. I think we've always got to keep pushing to be better on the field and I think that York City at times when I say York City I mean the club the supporters everyone connected with York City I think at times there are too many people that are happy to accept where we are at the minute and, and I think nothing sums up York City's demise more than, than you and Chris Jones sat on the, the hill at Chorley I mean <laughs> is, that, is that the sort of toughest game you've had to broadcast on I mean you know there, there's quite a few unique sort of places to commentate isn't there in National League North yeah that's that's been the most bizarre place to commentate from actually outside the confines of the ground which that bank is was strange I'm just glad it was September and it was a relatively warm day as well if you remember so it was dry because the grass was quite long uh, <laughs> it was dry we did have prior warning thankfully that we were going to be situated over there so we took sort of like the old deck chairs with us it made a bit of a change it was a bit of a laugh City I can't remember the result but I don't think City played particularly well, well that day nil, I think. yeah yeah exactly so uh, it, it added a little bit to the occasion didn't it and it put a smile on everyone's face and I just wondered on this sort of theme of, of these grounds being quite unique and quite small I remember going to North Ferriby and you were sort of in with board of directors of both clubs and, and I just wondered how conscious you were of sort of Jason McGill sat like literally a couple of rows down from you. Are, you. are you conscious of him? Are you conscious of other supporters when when you're kind of in amongst them like that? Or, or do you just literally focus on, on the job in hand? No, I'm definitely conscious before you start. <laughs> we know exactly where they are. I've never been surprised and I'd sort of like to tap on the shoulders if to say, we can hear you. But as soon as you start, you honestly, I just forget it. I forget that they're there. It's like everything else. You forget who's around you. I forget they're there and I'm just concentrating on the game and it, would, it wouldn't have any... Well, I say it wouldn't. I'd like to think it wouldn't have any effect on what I'd say if I knew they were listening nearby. No. And is there any sort of protocols from the BBC you have to adhere to when commentating? Not really, apart from the obvious. No foul and, no foul and abusive language. Be fair, be honest. We are, in local radio, we are allowed to be biased. They all know we're there because we want York City to win. Every station wants their side to win. But I think we've just got to be balanced with it as well. So we're not Radio York City. 
like some people think we are at times and complain, oh, we are too negative. Well, no, we're just reporting on what we see. We've got to be truthful to ourselves and to the audience. We're at BBC Radio York, not BBC Radio York City, which I think some of our supporters at times would like. So no, as long as as long as we don't cross that line, I think I think we're fine. Yeah. And sort of coming on to sort of interviewing and, and pre and post match, I kind of noticed because I'm in that unique position where obviously don't hear your commentary during the game because I'm broadcasting at the same time. But then we often sort of talk and, and, and sort of at half time and full time maybe. And, and sometimes there'll be games where I can tell you're you're quite worked up as to sort of like a poor performance. But then when I get back to the car, it's interesting because then then you interview the manager and, and it's sort of toned down quite a bit by that point. Is that is that deliberate? Is that a conscious effort from you? Because you know, you've got to kind of almost have a relationship with the club to maintain your position as, as what you're doing? Yeah, I, I think it's most definitely the hardest job is the post-match interview, especially after a defeat because you, as soon as a manager comes to a club, within three or four weeks, you know what sort of person they are and what sort of pushes their buttons, don't you? I think not just me or you, supporters know, what is it, Steve Watson at the minute, so they, they will know that something, what certain things are going to irk Steve Watson. When he hears the crowd moaning in the old men stand at Booth and Crescent, you'd see him turning around and gesticulating to the crowd. We all know, without him coming on the radio and having a bit of a moan and a pop about the, the reaction to supporters, that he doesn't particularly like it. So you quickly learn what presses their buttons, but the post-match interview is very difficult. It is not a chance for us as well, which I think lots of people maybe don't understand the post-match interview is to hear what the manager thought of the game. We've had two hours to tell everybody what we thought of the game. It's not a chance for us to tell the manager that we thought it was terrible. It's for him to tell us what he thought of the game and us to put points to him. Yes, you can direct those questions in a, cer- in a certain way, but I don't think the post-match interview really is there for us to be giving our opinions on the game, which sometimes is hard. What's been your most difficult interview? Has there been any York City manager or player that you found hard to speak to? I think they're all difficult if they lose or they've put in a bad... Not if they lose, if they've put in a bad performance or a continued run of bad performances because then I think you do have to the questioning does have to be maybe a, a little bit more stern as again as I just mentioned you know what the, what the managers are like now they know you've got to ask you've got to ask certain questions and there have been times where after interviews or after games in fact I don't every single manager that's been at York City while I've been there you're sitting around on a Monday morning or whatever and your phone starts going and you see the manager's number pop up on there and you're like oh what have I said what have we done? What are they not happy with? They never ring to congratulate you. It's always to question you on, did you really think that was a poor performance on Tuesday night or on Saturday? Or did you really think that? What do you think we should have done? I'm like, <laughs> we don't just say stuff just, just for the sake of it. So there's always that. So you always got to think there will be a comeback to this. And they know everything that's going on. They hear everything by third party. So they don't often get the, the right story at times, uh, people in football clubs. And this isn't just York City. This is all football clubs. So you know there, there could be some sort of comeback from whatever you say on the radio. And, and how many people do tune in to listen to York City games? And has that increased significantly? during lockdown? Good question. Uh, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure if it's increased during lockdown or not. I would like to think it probably had, but then obviously there's been the free streaming, which people haven't had the option to use in the past. So I imagine it'd be pretty stable. Maybe it even dropped slightly in lockdown. How many people listening? I don't know. I know the majority of people listening online, not surprisingly. The number of people actually listen now on the radio, not just to football commentary, but I think in life in general is probably tailing off a little bit, which is why there was a big discussion. People were saying, oh, well, why have you got Harrogate on? One of you on FM, one of you on DA, be local radio got rid of all the AM transmitters last year so that was where Harrogate obviously used to be and then Harrogate Town's commentaries were put onto DAB and York City stayed and FM were like well why have they given DAB to uh, to Harrogate and Radio York stays on FM well it actually wasn't like that 
it was because all internet listening follows an FM feed. Doesn't matter what station you're listening to, all internet listening follows an FM feed, if there is an FM feed. So because there's obviously more people interested in York City than there are in Harrogate Town, York City had to stay on FM so that people could automatically get it if they were listening on the internet. And you mentioned earlier about sort of people used to listen at the ground and used to bring radios out. I remember when we got relegated at Man City, I found out because some bloke had a radio attached to his ear. In the modern age, clubs are sort of all over social media, aren't they? Certainly, you know, Dan Sim and I always looking to be quite innovative. And But back in the day, the sort of radio and, and the written press were the sort of people that would always put the main news out there, wouldn't they? Like a new sign and all stuff like that. So how restricted are you with content and, and how do you make sure that things stay relevant for Radio York? I don't know if we're, we're restricted with content because obviously we need someone to send it to us. So if we don't if we don't get sent, stuff sent to us or sent to us in advance so we know what's going on, it could quite easily get missed and lots of things that are embargoed till, I don't know, any time on an evening or first thing on a morning. We, we don't man our office 24 hours a day. So stuff can quite easily get can quite easily get lost and then you're sort of playing catch up a little bit. So I think a lot of that actually falls down on whatever football club it is. I don't think you can put the radio or the telly or the newspaper down to that because newspapers now don't really have specialist football reporters the majority of them don't the press don't since Dave Flett went we do other jobs if we're not doing football commentary I'm not just a York City commentator and the rest of the time I sit with my feet up all week I have to do other stuff in the newsroom so our job isn't just focused on York City so it's like everything really we need help from the club or from clubs and if we don't get that it's, it, at times it's pretty difficult because we don't have the time to go around digging for different transfer stories and what have you no, and, and, and sort of you know with the, with the last season being as it was with, with COVID restrictions and everything you, you seem to have quite a good rapport with you know the Gloucester City chairman and, and the, the one of the joint managers at Chester City as well and but York City seemed to be quite sort of distant with that was was that difficult for you because I felt like the coverage at the time was really good you know you were doing phone-ins you were doing specials and, and sort of keeping everyone updated but it almost felt a little bit weird that it was sort of you know Radio York but yet York City weren't part of those conversations well what's your relationship like with a club? I don't think it's just me and the club the club from my perspective just doesn't have anyone really who wants to come out and communicate they're always given the opportunity so we ask them if they want to come on the radio if they don't want to come on the radio there's no one can force them to come on the radio or, or put something in, out on their website. I think the clubs, the response we always got was they wanted they they didn't want to be controversial. They didn't want to go into the flow. They just wanted to basically sit in the background and not make too much of a noise and whatever would happen would happen, which to be fair to them, might have been the right way to go because the clubs that did kick up a bus, the Dawkins, the Gloucester, it got them absolutely nowhere and it will have lost them some friends with other people. Whereas York City just sat there quite happily in the background. I'm sure they were pushing for the season to continue. I think that was it. And just to sort of play devil's advocate that the year before to kind of get to see, you know, the Promote 2 campaign that Dan was obviously quite heavily behind. That, that yeah. made a massive difference, didn't it? And I think the reason why certain clubs were, were given the chance for promotion, like someone like Ultranham, they wouldn't be in the National League now, I don't think it wasn't for that push from the club. So it just seemed a bit strange. One year it, it was prevalent, their, their kind of communication, the next year it wasn't. And I just wondered, you know, what, what it was like from your perspective. I, I'm not sure they agreed with lots of the other clubs. I think the clubs still see themselves as a bigger club and lots of these, other, lots of the, let's be honest, most of these clubs are much smaller than York City, aren't they, in stature. And I know they weren't following on the line I don't think the club wanted the vote, the special resolution to go through and the vote of no confidence in the National League I don't think the club was supportive of that so they were basically out on a bit of a limb compared to many of the other clubs and I just don't think they wanted to make that as public as maybe some of the other clubs did and didn't want to fall out with everyone if they didn't need to and just sort of bringing it to a close personally speaking how confident are you of promotion this season I mean in the last sort of couple of weeks I've signed Jason Gilchrist and Kurt Willoughby and Clayton Donaldson returning with your supporters sort of head on how confident are you that, that York City are finally going to get out of the National League now 
off. And I, and I agree with everything you said earlier about that kind of expectation. I'm, I'm 100% from the same ilk as, as yourself. Yeah, they should do. I think they're under massive pressure too because the supporters, I think, have been very, very tolerant and we'll expect them to get promoted this season. Will they get promoted? You see filed signing players as well. They're throwing a lot of money at it, aren't they? I think they would probably be my favourites to win the division. And we've had so many setbacks at York City that you can never be outright confident that, that York are going to do it. Yes, they should finish in the top two. Let's be honest. If they don't, I think it's that, I think that would be seen as a failure, and a big failure. Will they get promoted? I would love them to get promoted. We'd all love them to get promoted. But... I think it's very hard to say whether they will after what's happened in the last few years. And only time will tell. They need to get off to a decent start, don't they? Because every side has blips. I think if York have a blip right at the start of the season and get off to a slow start, there will be unrest. We already know there's a big, a lot of unrest between... Oh, in the past, I've said it's sort of like a minority support, but I actually think it's, it's sort of swinging the other way now, isn't it? People unhappy about the communication, people unhappy about moving to the community stadium, even though obviously York City had to do fifth season in National League North. So there is a lot of pressure there at York City. And I just hope they can handle that pressure. And if they can... And if they play a more expansive brand of football, which I think is vitally, vitally important, Salford, Harrogate, Stockport, Chorley, all these teams that have gone up in the past, even Altrincham to an extent, even though they finished below City, they all played a more attractive game and they all won a decent number of games relatively easily. York City in this last couple of years have really had to fight for every point they've got, haven't they? They don't win games by two, three or four goals on a regular basis like those sides did. So they're continuously using energy for a whole 95 minutes. If Steve Watson can somehow sort that out, yes, they've got a good chance, but I wouldn't put any money on it being right. Thanks for your time, Dave. Cheers, man. Real pleasure to speak to Dave Ward there, someone I love speaking to at the ground before and after games. He's someone who shares a very similar passion to myself and as we're a very similar age, we seem to have grown up in a kind of glory era and share the same cynicism, shall we say, of York City in, in the present. But hopefully this season that, that will change and we will experience something similar to that glory years of the early 90s. We shall see. So yeah, thanks to him. Hopefully people enjoyed that. I always like doing ones that, are, obviously I like every interview that I do, but ones that are not player specific and like we had a lot of praise for the Dave Flat interview that we did very early on in the first series so I, th- I think it was it was good to, to get someone like Dave on to hear his story and how he got into York City and, and journalism as well so hopefully that was interesting for people we've got obviously Barry Parker up next this will be the final episode of the series well the regular series I think we'll, we'll be able to put out the Brody Live event at some point in the next sort of month or two so yeah Barry Parker again lots of York City fans will remember his quirky commentary shall we say and people even even kind of young people listening to it Radio York now will I'm sure recognise his voice from his, his commentaries with, with Harrogate Town so again another one that I think people will enjoy listening to And once again, thanks to Chris Pegg and, and City Cruises for sponsoring the, the episodes. If you put YCFC 10 in your uh, checkout, you'll get 10% off at City Cruises. And as we're getting towards the end of the series, if you haven't donated already uh, and you feel that you, you're able to do so, it's justgiving.com forward slash your hospital radio. Again, you know, I feel like I repeat myself, but no matter even if you can donate a couple of pounds, it's, it's really, really useful to the charity. And we really appreciate anyone who is able to donate anything. So thanks again for listening. And hopefully you'll enjoy the final episode of the regular series next week with Barry Parker.